This quantitative survey gathered information on the demographic and professional characteristics of coaches in relationships between coaches, levels of qualifications, nutrition qualifications, types of qualification, and years of experience, and their self-perceived success rate of client weight loss maintenance. 16 were surveyed. Four were actually interviewed. They agreed to these 45 to 60 minute interviews, uh, provided four key themes strongly supported by the literature. everybody, I'm going to go over today the second study that was done from the uh, Auckland University of Technology. Uh, my, my friend Eric Helms had a couple graduate students who were uh, working through their master's dissertations and uh, decided they want to do something on just proving or investigating or exploring the success of personal nutrition coaching is that occupational category having an impact that's better or worse uh, than than other avenues. So Ariel, who, uh, let me scroll down here, is a student who decided to do uh, an emphasis on the qualities of successful online nutrition coaches. So hers was from the perspective of the coaches themselves. Rosemary Hunter, uh, did one from the client's perspective. And we have two research reviews on that in the previous two weeks. And those were incredibly eye-opening because they looked quantitatively at the actual client's results. And this was from a pool of 15 to 20 years. Our company history is about 25 years, but I don't think we started even creating necessarily uh, trackable database information on clients until about that time. Uh, I, of course, nobody in our company could be involved in this study. We simply gave that database information over to the researchers, and they were able to then uh, pursue uh, people who would be willing to, to be participants in uh, surveys or interviews for this kind of retrospective analysis. So really, really good information. If, you, if you're interested in this topic, I would definitely go back and look at those two research reviews, which would also be dated in October of 2022. Uh, this one, however, from Ariel is, is regarding, as I mentioned, the perspective from the coaches. And I titled this the traits of successful coaches or the traits of coaches who create successful long-term weight loss maintainers. And you're going to see that there are two parts to this as well, a qualitative and quantitative. And uh, today it's in reverse. Ariel is starting hers with the quantitative analysis, which is interesting to me because, um, you know, as I mentioned in the previous two reviews on their research, uh, this is my company's history. And so uh, I, I feel quite vulnerable in seeing exactly, you know, what could be assessed Yet at the same time, incredibly interested. You know, I'm I'm the one who who always wanted a, a unified um, premise behind exactly what we do as a company. Very very educationally based, very high support. Uh, as many of you may know the story, because of my work and my company's trajectory, you know, we basically started this entire personal nutrition coaching industry, uh, albeit accidentally at first. Uh, we always knew, as, as Ariel will describe in here, that the dietetics world at the time, the American Dietetics Association, now under a different name, successfully legislatively blocked anybody from doing nutrition coaching of any sort. Then the lines kind of got drawn between medical nutrition therapy and what could be considered nutrition coaching. And I, I currently view that as more like a uh, the, the way personal training evolved. There's no regulation there. There are no regulatory bodies, but there are certainly opportunities for certification, for education, exercise science. I mean, it's just off the chart, your opportunities to prepare yourself to be good as a fitness professional on that personal training side. And now ostensibly on the nutrition coaching side, um, still a lot of gray area there. And these researchers rightly talk about scope of practice and education and certification. And that's truly one of the things that Ariel wanted to investigate here. So it is incredibly interesting. Uh, a couple of things that disappointed me a little bit is the amount of participation. Uh, we have a database of 
more than 20,000 people directly in our, um, you know, mailing list, which are, you know, former coaches, former clients. We also have the advantage of social media where uh, the researchers and us would post these calls to participants. And uh, you know, we just we just didn't get that much of, of an out uh, or a turnout. Uh, Eric Helms said, you know, actually, especially on, the, on Rosemary's study, it was pretty good. It was, you know, pretty much what you would expect. Um, I, I just still think it was kind of underperforming on just getting enough people, enough volunteers. And you'll see that even categorically as I go through this. So let's dive right in. Uh, I think this one will be a little bit um, quicker than the couple we went to, we went through in the last couple of weeks. But let, let me read through this real quick on this premise, uh, exactly what Ariel intended to look at. While self-directed self-directed attempts at weight loss are often initially successful, in many cases, individuals regain some, if not all, of their weight loss. Recall from the literature review Rosemary did, about 80% of people gain their weight back within a couple of years, about um, 50% gain it back within the first year having met their goal. So just the qualification of having lost 10% of your body mass and keeping it off for a year qualifies you in most diet related research as a long-term weight loss maintainer. So uh, back to the, the premise here. However, when an individual seeking weight loss engages with a qualified practitioner, they are less likely to regain their weight. Although dietitians, as I mentioned, are arguably the most suitable practitioner to provide the support, sometimes they are not the practitioner sought out by those seeking to lose weight. Non-dietitian practitioners, such as personal trainers, nutrition coaches, sport coaches, and strength and conditioning coaches, are fr frequently approached for nutrition guidance. So when we get to the very end of this research review, you'll see a slide where part of Ariel's conclusion is that this is the first study of this kind where we're looking at, at least in part, a differentiation between registered dietitians, the world of dietetics, and those who are doing nutrition coaching outside of that scope. So as she continues here, the aim of this dissertation was to conduct quantitative and qualitative research to explore the beliefs and approaches used by successful online weight loss coaches. There, there is an interesting um, bifurcation that comes up in this. And, and when we get to it, I'll point it out. But a lot of her questions are the coach's perception. So even though this is the quantitative portion, uh, there is uh, reduced or, or low enough participation among the number of total coaches that she could not just get definitive answers, something, you know, you, you could say, okay, based on this study, based on this N group, we got this, but does that represent the whole field of personal nutrition coaching? And with a low enough subject group, the, the answer is probably not, you know, take it for what it's worth. Here's what we found. Here's what we can learn from it, but you definitely need more supportive analysis. If you're going to continue to investigate this realm, uh, but she rightly said, you know, this is the first of its kind. And so hopefully it will spur more interest. Uh, and again, this this one largely being from the coach's perspective of what they think they are providing. Uh, remember, in the first two uh, weeks of this, this um, look into the Auckland studies uh, with Rosemary's in looking at the client's perspective, some of it was, here is what happened. Here's how much weight we lost. Here's what it took. Here, here are the regaining statistics. But then qualitatively from the interviews, here is what the clients said was most important to them. Here's what they feel was a contributing factor. So a survey and semi-structured interviews were undertaken to explore the associations, traits, and qualities associated with online nutrition coaches' perceived success with their weight loss maintenance clients. The participants in both studies were current or former Diet Doc LLC coaches or National Academy of Metabolic Science graduates. The Diet Doc specifically was chosen because it provides professional support with an evidence-based system for their coaches to operate within, which is also taught in their NAMS nutrition certification course, uh, thus providing a unique cohort of online nutrition coaches operating in a supported evidence-based framework. So uh, an important note there, 
again, I could not participate in this, nor could anybody in our company, yet we had to give them the, the database of clients. And looking for coaches specifically, certainly we have, you know, out of those tens of thousands of, of names and contact points we could give, the vast majority are clients. But when it came to coaches participating, and this is where I, I said I was a little bit disappointed, we just didn't get as much participation. We got so little from the Diet Doc LLC licensed programming. Uh, you know, those people who were licensed practitioners over the last 20 years that uh, Eric Helms and, of course, going through the ethics review board, et cetera, you know, had to decide, OK, how do we how do we get the next ring of the orbit, so to speak? And so they decided, since I also own the National Academy of Metabolic Science to certify coaches. So licensing is the central hub of our company. Um, but we also certify, which is they're not necessarily supported by us. They're not part of our inner circle company. Uh, they don't have access to us as practitioners on a daily basis, helping them with their clients and, and so forth. That's, that's specifically and exclusively within the Diet Doc licensing program. But as the owner, our company, me, as the owner of the National Academy of Metabolic Science to certify coaches, that curriculum is still very, very uh, legitimately robust. It's us saying, here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to do. Here are the competencies you need to have as a nutrition coach. Uh, they go through examinations, case studies, and so forth. So I'll, I'll get ahead of the curve just a little bit here and, and give you a sneak peek at some of the findings at the end. Um, it, it's good. I mean, the, the, those NAMS graduates do just as well as our supported coaches. Uh, and, and we're going to talk about that in the discussion piece where, where we decide, decide to try to interpret exactly why some coaches are motivated to be the best they can be. Uh, how does that correlate to their education level and their experience level? So some really good stuff, I think, that we can look at and learn from in this study. So this quantitative survey, which was 16 people, like I said, it just they, they had, our, had a hard time, you know, getting, getting coaches to respond, gathered information on the demographic and professional characteristics of coaches in relationships between coaches' levels of qualifications, nutrition qualifications, types of qualification and years of experience and their self-perceived success rate of client weight loss maintenance. Um, this semi-structured, these semi-structured interviews uh, and four, so 16 were surveyed. Here's the survey to take. Four were actually interviewed. They agreed to these 45 to 60 minute interviews, uh, provided four key themes strongly supported by the literature, which is the rapport between client and coach the support methods, what's the process for the coach to deliver said service, and uh, what kind of holistic approach, you know, what's all included in that, and goal setting. These were the parameters that Ariel decided she wanted to look at. Um, one of the reasons why she said that this is a, a first-of-its-kind study is back up there, I want to point to for a second time, the fact that she uses that phrase that is the qualify, or I'm sorry, the the the, the perceived, their their self-perceived success rates. And Eric and I had a chuckle about this, as you'll see why uh here in a few minutes. But simply asking coaches with with all of these categories, these four uh topics and, and areas of investigation, one of the questions was asking the coaches, um, you know, on kind of a like, not a Likert scale, but on a, on a, just a, a, a scale to say, you know, do you think 75% or more of your clients have maintained their weight loss after they left you? Do you think 50% or more? We know what the stats are, right? We know that um, it varies from study to study, from meta-analysis to meta-analysis, but at least we can say that 50% of people on a low end regain all of their way back with one year. Uh, and within two years, about 80% of the people regain their weight back. I've seen studies that it's much, much higher than that, much worse than that. Um, but wait till you see what these coaches think their success rate is. And I would argue they, they have no, nobody out there is keeping those, those data. Nobody, no, no coach that I know is doing long-term survey analysis, checking with me next year and the next year and the next year. And, and Hey, Mr. Client, after the 10th year, 
how are you doing? I've often wished we did that in our own company and we have just never had the infrastructure to do that. Um, something to consider for us in the future. But, you know, like I said, that just doesn't happen. Most people are trying to work with their clients, take care of their clients, do their best work and, and help them and, and move along. You know, everybody has a business to run in that regard. And that's just a long-term aspect that gets overlooked. So let's continue on here discussing the method in this cross-sectional observational study, coaches from the Didoc LLC and the National Academy of Metabolic Sciences. Uh, grad or graduates were invited to complete an anonymous survey. Uh, the survey consisted of 18 to 20 closed answer questions under the following subheadings, demographic data, coaching background, client practitioner interaction, and domains. Self-reported weight loss maintenance success rates were reported by the respondents, meaning the coaches, uh, as their best estimation of the percentage of their weight loss clients who maintained at least 5% of their weight loss for one year or longer. So even that was a reduction of what we would currently see in this type of research. Because uh, to qualify for most studies, you, you have to have um, you know, kept off 10% of your, your body weight. So uh, finally here in with, with the method, the descriptive statistics were reported as frequencies and percentages to understand the demographic data of the sample and to understand frequency at which a majority of the sample used each domain and frequency of check-in. The rates as a percentage of weight loss maintenance who maintain at least 5% of their weight loss for one year of coach reported successful weight loss maintenance were measured. Uh, that's another thing that comes up that I think uh, I wanna point out specifically in this slide, which is, uh, in the term of process, what does the coach do uh, with their clients? Frequency of communication was asked. And I, I mentioned this last week, but when it comes up here in a, in a slide, I'll, I'll readdress it. And it's, it's another little bit of a sad point for me, but there is a caveat. So I'll, I'll let you know what I think we need to change in the industry. Uh, the final planned analysis was to compare coaches. So this this is what I would have loved to see. Um, you know, it, it was it was planned to compare diet doc licensed coaches with those who were not diet doc licensed coaches, but who had graduated from the National Academy of Metabolic Science, and say, hey, you know, does the licensing or the the certification like is there a difference? And because we only had three former or current, I have no idea who they are, coaches from the Diet Doc LLC, uh, they just said we, we could not do a valid comparison. So we just did not do that. But when you look at all of them collectively, you know, there, there is still important information there and, and Ariel addresses that. So the subjects, again, I said 16 participants uh, reached out, but two remo were removed because they're uh, of their incomplete responses. So now we're down to 14 coaches that we are looking at. 36-ish um, percent were male, 64% female, average age around 35 years with a deviation of six and a half years. So out of those 14, we had a coach as young as 25, a coach as old as 54. 7%, uh, those three uh, who were diet doc licensed coaches, and uh, 78, 79% were NAMS certified coaches. And then 14% were both. Um, gosh, let me do the math here. How many would that be? Um, three or four, or maybe even just two, uh, who were both uh, licensed owners, licensed through the Diadoc, and then also had graduated NAMS. Okay, so let's dig into some of these results. This is where we're gonna get to start picking out some things that might be interesting. Uh, this first category is the coach perceived rate of successful weight loss maintenance. So uh, here's something interesting. So out of 14 coaches, one coach said, I think none of my clients have been successful. One coach actually said that. Um I'm not, maybe they didn't understand the question. Maybe they're, maybe they're just really having a bad day. Uh, but that is an interesting place to put yourself. Uh, 
one coach also said, I think I've got about a 10% success rate after a client leaves me and we've done our work and they've had success. I think about 10% are, are keeping on, keeping on, they're doing well. And that gets pretty close to the actual average, right? So like if you go out two years, you're looking at 10 to 20% success, which as abysmal as that sounds, that is what we are up against. Um, then about three coaches said, I, I'm rolling dice on 50%. I, I think half of my former clients are doing great in maintaining their success. So look at that line between levels one and two, between 10% and 0% success rate, you've got two out of 14 coaches. Now, 50, 60, 70, 75, 80%, that means the vast majority think that their clients are maintaining at 50% success rate or higher, which would be crushing the actual statistical average. And you've got, you got eight of the coaches who think they're above 70% to think 80% of my clients are killing it. 80% of the people I work with are keeping their weight off and doing great. We got a lot of confident coaches. You know, that's, that's the chuckle point is um, for people who are probably not, I could almost guarantee are not tracking all of their clients, long-term data for ad nauseum years. Um, we, I guess, just like to think that we're doing some great work. Um, I'm not, again, we're, we're not getting into the, the, the client success work was done in Rosemary's study. Rosemary and Ariel did not work on each other's studies, but together they knew what they were doing. They're both working with these two sets of, of, of databases and so I, I'm, I'm sure there was some communication and, uh, but, but again, this is not a cross pollinated study where they're saying, let's, let's superimpose your findings on mine and so forth. I'll get into some of what Ariel could conclude in terms of the actual success rates, but right now we're just looking at the coaches perceived success rate. That's what this graphic represents. So now I want to get into the uh, the background of the actual coaches because this is very interesting and this this is actually kind of heartening to me in, in a in a way. So when you look at just the highest educational degree of these fourteen coaches, one was a high school graduate, two had a diploma or associate's degree, so one or two years of college, uh, eight more than half had bachelor's degrees. Uh, two out of the 14 had master's and one had a PhD. And that's all just non-nutrition education. So uh, for example, I know nutrition coaches because they just love this industry. Maybe they have some kind of personal connection or it's a strong hobby of theirs. And they may have started out as an engineer or an accountant or a nurse or something else, something that's not nutritionally um, grounded Yet this is their general education level before they decided to become a nutrition coach. Now, inside of the actual nutrition degree, six of the 14 say they have a diploma or associate's degree level. Uh, one has a bachelor's degree in something related to nutrition or nutrition directly, and one had a master's degree. So this, this is a very highly skewed group, first of all, and I think that needs to be taken into account. Um, only 33% or so of people even graduate from college. And yet we have 85, 90% who are, you know, college graduates here. And, and so that's a, a, a pretty motivated, pretty high functioning group in, in my opinion. Um, but you're going to see some interesting twists on that as we get further down. Um, so here, now we're getting into their actual professional backgrounds. Like, who are you? What do you do? Uh, two of these coaches were personal trainers. Five were nutrition coaches, as in this is how I make my living. I'm doing this full time. Two considered themselves health coaches. Um, not exactly sure how that would differentiate, but I'll explain that in a second. And then non-fitness or health related. So now five of these 14, again, are doing just something completely different as a way of making their living, um, yet they're doing some nutrition coaching. 
Now that, that health coach, you know, I, I think that's maybe somebody who just believes that their, their practice, their business is not just nutrition focused, but they do more things. I would certainly count myself into that category. Um, you know, the facilities I have owned and operated outside of just our reach into certifying and licensing has always dealt with more than just nutrition, it, you know, personal training, um, athletic goals, functional goals, quasi therapeutic goals in terms of I'm a physical therapist and we do athletic training type work as well. Sometimes we've had different types of coaches in our facilities. So, you know, a health coach, I think, is somebody who would rightly describe themselves as, of course, I do nutrition work, but do a lot of other things. And so I consider myself a health coach. I think that is something that, that defines me. I've used that phrase quite a bit as well. So just, just a, a pretty good smattering there between personal training, nutrition coaching exclusively, health coaching, meaning a little broader, and then five people were primarily doing something entirely different. Uh, so here, th this is a, this is a feel good spot. This is what I think is really good for, uh, our industry in that the, the frequency of domains discussed with clients. So training, mindfulness, psychology, goal setting, sleep and stress management. How often coach do you do these things with your clients? How often do you address these topics? Um, I mean, you, you see never and not often appear almost, almost never. Um, you know, there, only one person said I never discussed psychology. And I think, again, I'm just kind of projecting this. I think that's probably somebody who would say, because I'm not supposed to, you know, it's not within my scope of practice. Of course, I don't talk about psychology, but they probably talk about behavior. How are you feeling? What do you think about that? Uh, you know, a behavioral impact is very important. I was talking to a couple of our licensed diet doc program owners, and we were discussing, you know, the ramifications of and the appropriateness of doing certain psychological, uh, not, I don't, I've, my mind almost went to the word interventions, but that would be a bad uh, statement. And, I, and I, I'm leaving this in here because I want you to see the difference. Any nutrition coach is not doing any kind of mental health therapeutic intervention, but we can discuss behavior. We can help clients identify things that they're doing well, that they're not. And as I like to tell coaches, you don't even have the authority within your scope of practice to tell a client, hey, you need to go talk to a therapist or you even need to go see a physician that would be me assuming that I know, and that's out of my scope of practice. So it's, it's within a level of appropriateness for us to tell clients, you know, Hey, here's my experience with that as a coach of 25, 30 years, I've worked with thousands of clients and so many of them have struggled with this. And here are some really great outcomes. Here are some things people have done. I certainly know many of them have gone to see a mental health therapist for these reasons and for these issues, and they've done really well. Um, you know, have you ever considered that? I'm having a conversation about that. So I am discussing psychology, but I am not doing psychology, and I'm not even telling them what they need to do. I'm simply helping them by curating a certain level of, of experience and knowledge um, you know, so that they can make some, some good self-directed decisions. So then we get to mindfulness, which is kind of the same. And it goes up to not often just for one person goal setting. Um, I think that's probably a pretty, uh, pretty honest answer. You know, do you ever talk about goal setting? And one coach said, yeah, not often, maybe, maybe I should do more. So then we get into sometimes frequently and always. So, so look at the coaches, uh, in those two categories, I frequently or I always talk about training, mindfulness, psychology, goal setting, sleep and stress management. That goes to a level of holistic coaching that I think Ariel really wanted to see. Um, and as somebody who is a student and researcher and now graduate of the Auckland uh, University or, or AUT, Auckland University of Technology, um, 
you know, she was just very interested in seeing how is our profession doing, how are nutrition or health coaches doing in addressing all of these concerns. And and I I will often talk about the evolution of our industry starting 20, 25 years ago when I started doing this uh, with clients. And back then, and maybe for some people now, it, it started in, and in some people's practices continues to be pretty technocratic. Here's what you need to do. Well, I'm going to teach you how to track macronutrients. I'm going to teach you how to use flexible restraint in the right ways. I'm going to teach you certain things about nutrition and, and ways of getting here. And here, here's what the research shows. And here's, here's what I feel like you shouldn't do because, you know, we know these things through different studies and just the physiology of nutrition. And again, it's, it's teach, 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 teach. And there's certainly a movement as our occupation has normalized and evolved to be more holistic, to talk to people about the other areas of their lives impacted by and from nutrition. So Ariel hit the nail on the head here in the fact that, wow, you know, a, a good number of coaches are really doing this on a daily basis, or I should say in a practical basis with, with all of their clients. So that's a really, really good high point here. Um, now here's what's, here's what's a little bit troubling to me. Um, frequency of check-ins and one coach said, Hey, I have, I, communicate with my clients daily. Uh, another said I communicate with them twice a week. And then um, 12 out of 14 said, we just have weekly check-ins and that's it. The caveat is that even one of the coaches who was quoted mentioned, well, it's set up to be a formal weekly check-in. We want to do some assessment and all that stuff that, you know, frankly, that, that was my business model 25 years ago. That's what I did. And this whole phylogenetic tree into nutrition coaching when it was, you know, me initially, and then uh, clients of mine who became coaches or people who started going to school for exercise science and nutrition. And they were kind of learning through my articles and books and so forth, or through our licensing and certification programs. A lot of that information has just trickled down from the top for 20 years. And that was the model back then. You just had weekly check-ins. Um, Certainly because the, not just the industry has evolved, but literally that was the beginning of social media to now. So when I started this, nobody had a smartphone, social media didn't exist. You barely had email. So a weekly check-in was a pretty, pretty frequent, you know, occurrence. And ironically, it, it seemed to almost have better success in many ways. And Rosemary's research showed that there is kind of a sweet spot you get to where more frequency, more check-ins, more contact points with clients works better. But then when it starts getting to be too much, those clients actually do worse. So you can have so much communication that clients actually do worse. And I have to propose, at least my interpretation of that, is that that is often somebody who is very codependent, who needs that kind of frequency, kind of an extroverted external processor, just, you know, just blah, 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 just, all, just always has to, I mean, I, I, I have clients of my own personally, you know, who will message me 15 times a day. And then I have some that I can barely get them to message me once a week. So you see that variance, you see that difference. But here's what I want to say about this. It, you know, in, in this particular study, weekly is just, it's just not enough with today's ability to communicate through different platforms, through apps. We have our own coaching app. Um, so the, the caveat is one, one person did say, well, it, it is weekly, but you know, if somebody needs something, I'm going to answer them. It's the plan to do it weekly, but some people jump in, especially maybe in a front-loaded situation, new clients and all that. So I'm not going to say that's a hard, fast number and it's worrisome, but if you're somebody who is coaching or you're somebody who utilizes coaches, you know, we, we need what we need. We need support. We should get that support. Uh, if we're a coach, we should be more than willing to give it. But there, there are boundaries on both sides where 
uh, as Eric Helms, you know, has often said, there there are really no emergencies in nutrition. Um, sometimes there could be, but it's just not the norm for people who are engaging in fitness and nutrition programming. And you know, you certainly don't need to be handheld entirely through the process. There there should be a growing level of independence, and that was part of Rosemary's research that that there's there's plenty of of confirmation in in the literature that to move from extrinsic motivation to intrinsic is how you get to higher levels of success. So here, here are a couple more narrative-based interpretations of the results. The relationship of education level with coach-perceived successful weight loss maintenance. There were no significant relationships between coach-perceived weight loss maintenance success rates and education. Specifically, the level of general education had a non-significant negative relationship while the level of nutrition-specific education had a non-significant positive relationship with coach-perceived weight loss maintenance success rate. So let me let me explain that. I know that gets a little wordy. I, I emphasize just through my tone that this is coach-perceived weight loss success. Um, so when, when Ariel says there is no significant relationship between the education level and the coach perceived weight loss, that doesn't mean the, the success of the client. This means that whether I had a high school diploma and that was it, or I had a PhD, there was one coach at that, uh, in, in non-nutrition related degrees, the difference between coaches in, in the coaches saying, I think my clients succeed at a 50% rate or an 80% rate, or that one coach who said, I don't think any of my clients succeed. Um, there was just no difference in education level. So, you know, let, let's say of the, I think it was like eight people, eight coaches who had a bachelor's degree. Um, they weren't all over the, the the board between the those eight and the other ones. There was a pretty uniform level of saying, um, my confidence in my clients is here. It did not seem to relate to education, except that she said there was a slight, a non-significant, but a slight negative relationship, meaning the more education you had, the less you thought your clients were successful. And isn't that tied to a greater sense of reality? If we know that the industry standard is that 50% of clients regain their weight back in a year, 80% gain it back within two years, as a higher educated person who tended to be on the lower end of those predictive rates, that's more in line with reality. So, you know, I, I think what was surprising is we, we would think that the higher education we have, especially with nutrition, we could think, well, of course, my clients are going to be more successful because I'm so freaking smart. Well, in reality, I think it tied those who were more educated to just understanding the real data and, and what they're up against. So I just thought that was really interesting, as did Ariel. Um, she just, you know, she actually hypothesized that that would be kind of the opposite. But I think on further interpretation, further thinking, you know, I, I, I'll bet she would agree with me on, on, on why that was a little bit surprising. So the relationship of experience with coach perceived successful weight loss maintenance. So now this is just how many years have you been doing this? Again, no significant relationships were found between years of experience and coach perceived weight loss maintenance success rate. Specifically, a weak negative relationship was observed, which is exactly the same thing. The more experience somebody had as a coach, the more they were able to say their success rates were probably less than coaches who were predicting theirs were higher. So more novice or inexperienced coaches were the ones who were predicting that their success rates were higher, you know, probably for the exact same reason. So comparison of coach perceived successful weight loss maintenance by qualification number, the data were quite skewed and peaked. Um, and in successful weight loss maintenance and clients, no statistical difference was found for coach perceived weight loss maintenance success rates with one or less uh, um, more nutrition qualifications. So again, comparison of coach perceived successful weight loss maintenance by qualification number, meaning 
you know, how many certifications I have. It, it's basically another way of asking about your education, except instead of just literally bachelor's, master's, doctorate, it's just, you know, you, you have three certifications, four certifications, that kind of thing. So, so again, just kind of across the board, nothing right there. And as Ariel will describe, it's all of those data right there probably just kind of lend itself also to the fact that the N was that low. We only had 14 coaches who participated in this. So as one of her main discussion points now, after looking at the premise, the methodology, the subjects, you know, the results, let's get down and kind of see what this means. Based on the existing literature surrounding client-practitioner interaction, it was believed that more frequent interactions would be common practice amongst the coaches. It was further hypothesized that coaches with the highest levels of nutrition-specific education, but not necessarily general education, would have higher self-perceived client success rates for weight loss maintenance. It was also hypothesized that coaches with more years of experience or more nutrition qualifications would perceive that a higher percentage of their weight loss clients maintained uh, their weight loss. So, you know, kind of just went through that. Uh, but pertaining to the domains discussed with clients, all of those things, do you discuss mindfulness, do you discuss psychology, training, et cetera? It was hypothesized that coaches would take a holistic approach to their coaching and oftentimes address other domains. Um, and they did. Generally, our hypothesis about the coaching domains and contact frequency with clients were supported by the demographic data of this cohort. However, it was challenging to test our hypotheses about the relationship of experience, education, or qualification uh, with perceived client weight loss maintenance success due to the low, uh, lower than anticipated sample size. Therefore, the specific hypotheses related to the associations of education, experience, qualifications with self-perceived success were not supported. So again, I, I, I don't want to go over that too much again, but you know, I, I do think I do think it was still right. I mean, if you if you did that same survey with a thousand coaches, I think you'd see the same trends. Uh, and remember, this this is this is unique, as she said. Uh, you know, first time it's ever been looked at like this. And and you have to ask yourself. This is an important question. I think that anybody listening to this needs to to ask. Does this information tell me anything? When we're talking about the self-perceived success of the coach from the coach's perspective, Miss or Mr. Coach, do you think your clients are successful? And we know that it's skewed really high. Like they're they're just wrong. They're they're all overconfident, or most of them are overconfident. Um, you know, what does that tell us? Does it tell us we need to be better at giving coaches the realistic anticipatory knowledge that, man, you're, you're swimming upstream. 80% of your clients are going to regain their weight back in two years. That's the stat you have to beat. So maybe they need to be a little bit more diligent about long-term success strategies. Maybe they need to have in their process, better placement of those long-term vision cues you know, what are you going to do when you're not with me anymore as a client? What are you going to do when you reach your goal weight in order to maintain that? It's certainly something that within our company, we discuss right from the beginning. It is always, always, always part of our coach training to talk about long-term success. And so perhaps, because again, out of 14 people, Three were diet doc licensed coaches. The rest were National Academy of Metabolic Science certified coaches. A couple of them were both since they've been around that information and they know that's the goal. Perhaps that influenced their confidence level. Perhaps they do uh, emphasize it as much as I would hope they would. And they, they hit that nail so hard all the time. Uh, that that they just really do believe that their coaches are embodying that and they're taking that forward. And so, you know, perhaps their confidence level really isn't that misplaced. In this particular part of the study, this is a limiting factor of the study. We don't have the data to prove or disprove those assertions by the coaches. It would be great 
if per coach C, who said, I think half of my clients exceed long-term, let's go survey a hundred of your clients. Let's see what that rate is. That would be amazing to be able to do. It just wasn't within the scope of this, this particular study. It was just looking at those self-perceptions of the coaches. So uh, just finishing up her discussion point here, when asked about their perceived rates of weight loss maintenance success with their clients, the majority of coaches in the study, 85, 86% indicate greater than 50% of their clients maintain their weight for over a year. In fact, 25 and a half, 20. 6% of this cohort noted that 75% of their clients maintain their weight. Again, that's just their, their own personal opinion. Um, interestingly, while not significant, there was a negative relationship between the general education level and self-perceived client weight loss maintenance success rate, as I mentioned. Similarly, in a larger study, Melton and colleagues noted when providing knowledge, a knowledge test to personal trainers there was no significant relationship between nutrition knowledge of personal trainers and their level of general education. So uh, Ariel is basically saying, yeah, we, we did kind of, even though this was a low subject group, we, we kind of found the same thing compared to other studies. So you give a, and this, this I think is, is actually really cool because you, you give a survey and this was not Ariel study, but this Melton and colleague study an actual test to trainers. Let's test what you know. And there was no significant relationship between their nutrition knowledge and their education. So somebody could have a master's degree in nutrition. Somebody could have zero formal education in nutrition. And yet the nutrition knowledge, there was no significant difference. That means that nutrition coaches, regardless what their formal education is, they're finding some good information. And I mean, of course, you, you guys are living in, and many of you have just grown up inside of this, you know, high-tech information singularity bubble where you can find anything. You can follow people like Eric Helms, like, you know, you know me, other, you know, professors and academics and, and people who, who teach nutrition and have high formal education levels everybody has access to that information now if they're willing to find it. And it really looks like that's great, right? I mean, like you don't have to have a master's degree in nutrition to be a good personal nutrition coach. Um, that's, that is a, that is a really cool part of, of some of these findings. So likewise in the present analysis, there was not a significant relationship between nutrition education level and self-perceived client uh, weight loss maintenance success. Uh, once again, this may, may have been due to the small sample size. However, directionality of the relationship between nutrition degree level and perceived success rates was positive rather than negative, more in line with the hypothesis that nutrition level education would have a positive relationship with perceived success. So I, I, I don't think I skipped that, but I didn't mention it with, with a lot of, of emphasis. Um, you know, there was a negative association with higher education and perceived success. And I said that correlates to a better sense of reality. But then you got to the people with the highest degree of nutrition education formally, and they did skew a little higher. So the people with more nutrition knowledge said, well, of course, you know, I'm, I got it. I'm, I got that degree on my wall. I'm, I'm, I've got a, a bachelor's in nutritional biochemistry or something. So I think my clients do a little bit better. Um, you know, the people with, with people with higher education, but not in nutrition, you could argue they just had a better sense of humility in what they were doing. People with the higher, um, you know, levels of formal nutrition education, maybe a little bit cocky. You could interpret it that way. So let's get to the last couple things here. Um, let me skip that. I want to, I'm going to run you guys too long here. I want to get to the final thing. But, uh, I want to get to, okay. Actually, let me read this final one. This is what I was going to get at here. Um, further research is required to characterize this cohort of nutrition coaches, the broader population of nutrition coaches, and to gain greater understanding of what improves client weight loss maintenance success rates and what other practices should be implemented to improve weight loss outcomes. Um, but again, as she said here, the first line I skipped, this study was the first to report the demographic characteristics of, of coaches from a self-perceived, um, you know, standpoint. So 
you know, that's pretty standard for, for, for researchers to say, you know, here's what we found, here's what we can limit it to within this study specifically. And yet, you know, here's where we may be looking in the future. And, um, every time you have a study like this and it gets out, it gets any kind of traction or citation level that other people say, wow, that was really cool. That gives me an idea. I, I think this should be added to that, or maybe we can just replicate this study with a higher subject group. Or like I said, you know, there was a, a gap that I could see. And, and again, this is a student doing a dissertation, so you can't use unlimited time and funds to go do everything, especially with such a limited subject group. But, you know, perhaps doing more quantitative analysis of exactly how those clients do with different coaching perspectives. Uh, you know, eventually, let's say we get 10, 20, 100 studies on just personal nutrition coaching outcomes, just like we study the effect of a low carb diet versus low fat or this variable versus that variable, this independent variable versus this dependent variable. I mean, this is, this is wide open. This is just starting to be studied. And, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's, the opportunities are endless as to what we can learn, not just to verify what a personal nutrition coach can do uh, that other people aren't necessarily competent or as qualified or as motivated to get the best results, but to really guide those behaviors, you know, what are the traits, what are the practices, what are the processes that the best coaches use? And that, of course, will shape and guide the narratives and, you know, the outcomes going forward for the next, you know, group of coaches, the next generation. So in, in this, in next week, I'm going to go uh, into the second half of aerial study, which is the qualitative analysis. So this is where she does some deep interviews so we'll, we'll hear some of the, the reasons behind some of these findings. We'll, we'll hear what coaches personally had to say about their training, their education, and their processes. So I think that'll be a, a really good, important part of this. So we will then have had two research reviews on uh, Rosemary's study, which was the qualitative and quantitative analysis from the client perspective, and then Ariel's on the same from the coach's perspective. So just, just really cool, really well done. I, I love that Eric Helms uh, invited us to participate in this in terms of letting him use our clients and coaches as a database. But uh, if you guys have any questions, uh, feel free to uh, let me know. And I will hopefully see you guys all next week.